X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's mutants and more week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Now, the name of the show might be X's for Podcast, but we are in a massive period of growth. So whether it's over on Twitter, YouTube, or Patreon, you can find more content from the X's for Podcast team, just like you're about to hear this episode, only some of it, with a video. Now, first up, we have X-Men Legends number 2 by veteran X-Scribe Fabian Nicieza. As the team points out this story was decades in the making and it's refreshing to get to see an artist not just come back to a time where they had created but a time that they helped influence what's going on today in the course of discussing x-men legends number two they talk about fabian nicieza's legendary x-force run which of course ties back to the last few issues of new mutants the team discusses new mutants 98 for a moment but it's interesting to think about how pivotal that issue has become sure it introduced i guess gideon but it also introduced deadpool and domino which is why it's such a significant issue that people keep trying to stick classic New Mutants and X-Force stories right around it. Now, this story also features Corsair and the Shi'ar, which are two mainstays of Jonathan Hickman's modern age of X, so it's not hard to see where these ideas all sort of filter together, have a relationship, and really help influence modern storytelling. It's been tremendous to get to hear it and to get to see it through panels and reading it online, but getting to see that story that Nicieza has had trapped in his brain for decades was truly amazing as a longtime fan and as a creator himself. Hope you guys enjoyed Josh, Evelyn, and Arturo talking to you guys about X-Men Legends number two. Check it out. Welcome back to X is for Podcast. We're now going to talk about X-Men Legends number two, an event 9,611 days in the making. That's right. It took 26 years, three months, and 24 days, but we finally got the Adam X story that we deserve. With me today, I have Arturo. Say hello, Arturo. Hello, I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox. I've got Evelyn. Hi, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary and as always i'm josh wheel you can find me at asleep at the wheel w-e-i-l on twitter and at asleep at the wheel.com and as democrat running for u.s senate in the state of florida for the next two years you can find me at joshwheel.org x-men 39 came out on December 6, 1994. It is absolutely wild that in the year of our Lord, 1442, or 2021 for you Mm non-Muslims, that we are getting an actual Adam X comic. Like, Adam X is the lead character in a comic book published by Marvel Comics, and I I am just beside myself. I love the first issue so much, and I love the second issue even more. Josh, is your blood burning? My blood is burning. My birth is fouled and my earth is scorched. (laughs) (laughs) I give, I got to give credit to Fabian Nicieza for, what is it, 26 years later, still doing a bang up job of mimicking 
a Claremontian style like nobody else. He, oh, for sure. He has that way of like exposition and just, you know, purple language that, uh, the, that few the people title, can pull off. The title, This Fouled Birth, This Scorched Earth, is the perfect, like not Claremontian, but that whole like early to mid 90s era where everyone was trying to do Claremontian and sounding like super purple in their title and prose. Like it is exactly from that era. I mean, this whole comic, we were talking about it as we started recording that, you know, I couldn't find the credits page because I was looking for a Krakoan era, like white page break, you know, like the the credits stop that we're used to now. And it's just the classic style, like text box in the corner. It's there's, you know, a faux corner box on the cover. Like everything about this is like, it's been sitting on the shelf waiting to be released since 1994. And we're just finally getting it now like it is what we should have gotten 26 years ago and I I love this way of adding it in like not just going back and you know because we've seen people tell stories that fit in between comic issues before and like like we've seen a million fucking comics that tell stories between New Mutants 98 and 99 for some goddamn reason but like the fact that we're getting this like these events take place after X-Men 39 yeah uh, like and you're fitting in and you're telling a story that was being threaded and never got around to with the writer who was doing it using an artist whose style matches who's known because his style matches the house style of that period Mm -hmm. like okay wait on the art let's talk about the art real quick Yes, I totally agree with you. It does uh it does fit the era and it matches like that as you said, like the house style at that time. But to say Brett Booth is a poor man's Jim Lee. <laughs> to Jim Lee. No, no, no. And I'm not saying that you've said that, but that's definitely how he's been shorthanded and like in his dreams. He's, well, he's kind of like people with short hands are lazy. Yeah. He he's like he has kind of like some aspiration towards Jim Lee, but kind of like trapped in Rob Liefeld's body. Oh my God. And let's stop for a second. I'm sorry. I have to cut you off. I have to cut you off because I forgot to mention we talked about the credits, but I didn't actually read the credits that this issue, X-Men Legends number two, The Burning Blood part two, This Foul Birth, This Scorched Earth is written by Fabian Nicieza with pencils by Brett Booth, inks by Adelso Corona, colors by Guru FX, and letters by VC's Joe Caramani. Adelso Corona as an inker is another one with a heavy 90s style. And, And I don't mean that they're Jim Lee light. I mean that they're from that school like their main influences are that 90s house um you know the pre-manga pre-joe mad 90s with you know the extra lines a fuck ton of cross hatching everywhere heavy thick inks um both of them corona and booth um we have i met corona at tampa bay comic-con a few years back and my son really wanted and picked out a, a print from him and you know we have a delso corona print of dr doom hanging up in one of my boys rooms and it it has that style like it feels 90 in the way that like some of the armor is boxy instead of more natural like in 2000s art or like in mid 2000s to 2010s art or that that manga influence like late 90s to early 2000s like it doesn't have those other you can see who the leading artist was in eras it was Jim Lee for a minute right after that it really became kind of Joe Mad that was influencing people then we started getting into like the more natural and real stuff from like uh, the 
they're very different artists, but they both had that realistic sense in their different ways of like a McNiven and a uh, Quietly. Uh, very different artists, obviously, but both bringing kind of a, a, a realism into their work in a different way that permeated through the 2000s. And I mean, and this goes back to that Jim Lee 90s, what, what everyone else was mimicking. It doesn't mm-hmm. totally. It's not a fit for Jim Lee. It's a fit for the other artists that were mimicking that in the Marvel House style. Yeah, no, absolutely. That And that's that's 100% what it is. And in a way, I feel like this is this could not be more squarely targeted right at me. You know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I know uh, like other people and current fans or whatever are going to get into it or criticize it or whatever. But it feels so like here, this is for you. This is specifically for you because it is going back to to all those stories that you know, and Josh, I know you're, you're right there with me that like the stories that we kind of grew up with, right? Um, and I love that Nicieza takes the opportunity or, or whatever the editors do to cite not just once, but I think it was three times throughout the issue, mm-hmm. like specifically, you know, X Factor issues X through X, you know, pointing you back to Inferno, uh, pointing you back, you know, to like specific other eras. So it's, you can you can navigate exactly where you are in the time stream to get to the story, and I do appreciate. I miss that. editors' notes in comics so much. Oh yeah, editors' that's... notes in comics in the '90s when I was a kid was absolutely everything. It was like I a love map. them now. I it love like them now. Map. The editors when I'm notes... going back and reading old back issues I have, and I loved them then. Like I would be in the. I remember sitting on like a stool in the comic shop and reading comics, and like I'd get to an editor's note, and I'd go like running across the shop until like the back issues and try to like pull that bitch out and like find like okay i need this too like yes because that's like just we we now. literally evelyn this this is you know <laughs> i I'm know i'm the baby like, right now i'm gonna feel like old man time come come gather around children we didn't have wikipedia we didn't have reading orders we didn't have like like anything <laughs> like that so it was literally between editor's notes and i would say the trading cards were invaluable Yes. Like that's how you would cards? learn. Oh, mm, this shit happened okay. in issue Every trading you know, 134 card series. or whatever. Every trading card series had like a special events thing where they would be like, after you got through all the characters and maybe like the team cards, where and they'd be like milestones or events and it would show like, or first appearances and it would show you which comic. And in some of the better series, every single character one had like a random issue that they were like a featured character in or like a special issue if you like this character that they showed you the cover and hmm. gave you like the title and number of. So like you could see these comic covers and know like, ooh, this is a good strong guy issue. Ooh, this is a good whatever it like. Okay. And those were the best. Nice. All right. Because yeah, because I didn't really start getting into comics until 98, 99 was when I got into comics. That's when I was about old enough to start reading them. And that's pretty much how I learned to read was from my dad's comics. So I definitely missed like the 90s comics until I was until like the last couple years actually because I grew up on old 70s and 80s comics from my dad because when I was born he stopped collecting comics for a little bit so (laughs) now I had the X-Force issue Adam X returns and things have never been more extreme where Shatterstar and Adam (laughs) X are like trapped in an arcade murder house from like when it was first printed as a kid 
I reread that like three months ago, and it was awesome. It holds up. I, I swear to God, the 90s stuff was fun. It was ridiculous, but it was so much I fun. I need to read that. That sounds great. That's someone who I would have loved to see in this was Shatterstar, actually. Oh, true. Yeah. That would have been really they, interesting with that. In a way, I think I kind of, even back then, I kind of didn't even give a shit about Adam X because I was so, at that point, invested in Shatterstar. Like, I had kind of missed out on Longshot like in the immediate time like i learned about Longshot, and i was like oh Longshot's cool but i was primed for when shatterstar was introduced that was like my guy and he was such a template for rob liefeld's other characters like an image he kind of became a template for my my little fictional teams there was always a guy with swords and ponytails ah X-Force Volume 1, number 30, was written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Tony Daniel, another one of those house art style guys from the time. I'm looking at the cover right now. It looks exactly like the Brett Booth Adam X that we're getting right here. And actually, I do believe that all the Adam X appearances are the vast majority of them, even the little Captain Marvel minis and the annual stuff was all Fabian Nicieza. He was the only one putting this uber 90s character in the books at that time. Like this was his baby. And he was threading it. Like issue 39 that this follows was a, a very slow character study like it's kind of funny when you look back on it if you're doing a reread of x-men volume 2 because you know you're doing all this stuff with like the jim lee and the animated series characters and your main team on that time was like psylocke gambit and rogue and then it's this one issue that just breaks it's it's adam x trapped in the snow in alaska with corsair's dad like trying to survive through like a cold night and that's the whole issue like the whole issue is just adam it's x-men 39 and it's adam x alone in the snow with his not dad's dad and at the time any any like whispers of adam x being a summer's brother was like was whispers like there wasn't anything actively that seemed like oh this is this is a viable thing going forward and as comic fans, we were not as savvy as we are now. We only right. knew what type of conspiracy theories that Wizard Magazine told us to think. Exactly. Um, but, you know, nowadays we would see the foreshadowing. We would see the... Uh, yeah, you would see the, the little you'd see the little breadcrumbs. Nowadays we would see the foreshadowing a mile away with Nicieza writing in you know, one issue where Mr. Sinister meets Scott and, you know, very specifically in bold text says, your brother's plural and then like three issues later you know the same writer Nicieza is having an you know and a, a special issue with Adam X this special character that he created alone in the snow with Cyclops's family and feeling a mysterious bond to these people like we would see the foreshadowing that a mile away and we'd all be like all right you know what like that's not even subtext anymore like just call him his brother but no in the 90s in the 90s we were not that clever Adam X seemed more like a Shatterstar knockoff than anything related to the Summers Brothers. So readers or listeners, if uh, if you're not familiar, Adam X's power is that he can ignite blood on fire, uh, hence the name the burning blood. So it wasn't even like an obvious, okay, well, Cyclops has eye blast, Havoc has plasma blast. The other Summers Brother rumor was always Gambit, which seemed to hold a little more water, in my opinion, because Gambit's charging of, you know, uh, you know, turning kinetic energy or whatever and charging objects seems more aligned. But no, uh, in defiance of all logic, Adam X's power is that he can ignite the blood, not in your veins, but once it has been oxygenized and, and exposed to the air. So but it's a very yes, specific once it's been oxygenized, but then it can run through, like it of can course, run into right. your veins right. once he gets 
Yes, yeah. Right. No, um, and he was an extreme Shatterstar. This is a 90s period of copies of copies of copies. Like, totally. this is the 90s period where we had Sabretooth is bad copy of Wolverine, and so Wild Child is bad copy of Sabretooth. Hobgoblin is bad copy of Green Goblin, so Demo Goblin is bad copy of Hobgoblin. Venom is bad copy of Spider-Man, so Carnage is bad copy of Venom. Like, this was Marvel's thing. Like, hey, we made a hit cat. Like, do it again. Do it no, again. But, and beyond do it again. that, and beyond that, to, again, take you guys back in time, uh, once those artists departed from Marvel and started Image, and I'm talking about Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, uh, Will Sportacio, um, Todd McFarlane, and they created all of their new lines, this character was kind of one of the templates, right? Like, oh, yeah. if you had a team, you had a strong guy, you had a feral person that's, you know, animalistic and has claws, and you definitely you had, had a big rock guy. You And you had a big rock guy, that's a strong guy, and you definitely had somebody with long, fabulous hair and blades. Shoulder pads. Shoulder pads shoulder like pads, no one's fucking blades, business. Acrobats, the house down. Yes. And Every single just, image yeah. character had to walk into a room sideways because their shoulder pads would not fit <laughs> through the fucking doorway. And it was, you know, it was glorious times. It was fun. It certainly impacted me. Like, I look back at sketches of, like, my quote-unquote original characters that I would make up, and it was literally like a knockoff of the knockoff of the knockoff. <laughs> And, you know, so whatever. I was primed for that. And in a way, that's what this whole uh, X-Men Legends thing has been. It was just like a nostalgic trip back to that time. And proof that it's never going to be as good as the actual time. In part because I'm no longer a kid. And in part because it feels more like imitation or commentary of than than authentic, if that makes sense. It almost felt to me like uh, it was brought to my attention that I'm at the age that the people that were were imitating the 60s what is it the people that were imitating the 60s when i was a kid are like the people that are imitating the 90s now to say no the 60s 90s stuff from the 90s is as old as 60 like adam x's backwards hat and jinko jeans and long hair is like fucking hippies when we were kids and i can't get over that to quote i watched ladybird last week i watched ladybird last week and the fact that they're making period pieces about when i was in high school made me want to just like fucking dig a hole in the backyard and bury myself in it a hundred percent to quote taylor swift I come back stronger than a 90s trend and it, it's just it's happening so much and like I was I was very little in the 90s I just really remember the late 90s I was born in 93 but like I still love the 90s stuff like I love the aesthetics it's so much fun it's weird seeing it come back the way it is but I guess not as weird for you guys <laughs> In my mind, it's like it's never left. The The closest I've ever had to realizing or accepting that the 90s are gone was one time when I was watching Goodwill Hunting, one of the many, many times I was watching Goodwill Hunting. And I realized that like, I probably like wouldn't dress the way like Ben Affleck was dressing in that movie anymore, even though like I've never seen anything wrong with it before. But I'm totally over that shit and I would dress that way again now. So it's fine. Um, but that's the closest I've come to ever acknowledging or admitting that the 90s are over. No. But like the crazy thing about it was it was literally like the last gasp before computers started. I, I mean, I guess you'd say the 2000s was kind of that. Um, but yeah, video it was just games a different even too. Time. Video yeah, games I mean, even too. Like, well, there were video games, but it was just there were. But but it was a solitary. Is, it was a solitary experience. Or you'd go yes. to the arcade. Yes, Evelyn, I want to hear you talk about your thoughts on this issue then, because you're not you're looking at this without the nostalgia that Arturo and I 
I have. So, you know, because I am uh, much like Scott Summers, I am looking at this issue through uh, rose tinted glasses. So give me your your impression on this story here that we got in X-Men Legends 2. Okay, so as most people know, I'm not the biggest Cyclops fan. That being said, I am obsessed with the rest of the Summers family. I know I just made you sad. Um... <laughs> Don't come at me. I said I'm not the biggest fan. I'm still a fan, but not the biggest fan. Anyway, but I love the rest of the Summers family. And so I I'm, I haven't been exposed too much to Adam X. I've seen him like here and there. So it, I was really excited to see more of him and like really get to know him and fall in love with him. Um, I, I love I love seeing their dad come in. I, I love Christopher. I think he's just I just love him. He's definitely a dilf, not gonna lie. Oh, I was just gonna say he's a sexy space pirate dad. <laughs> he he's a sexy space pirate dad. That is exactly it. And so I was really excited for that. I love that. I love Havoc. I love my himbo. So I was just excited for this. And like seeing like family interaction, like I'm such a slut for X-Men comics having family interactions. <laughs> like Nichieza did not hold back on Alex being the dumb brother either in this one. No, he did not. Oh yeah. He told yeah i mean that's one of the things with this is that cyclops and and havoc both feel like caricatures of themselves yes i did feel that so i will say with this something that we talked about in the green room was did i enjoy this comic and was it a good comic are two totally different questions was it good Eh, it was okay but did i enjoy it oh fuck yeah it was so much fun seeing cyclops like pulling up on his dad like where my brother and havoc just being like yeah i'm not the younger brother there's like like you said, characters of themselves. It was just so funny. I, Scott I is also so a dumbass. Scott is. is unable. Scott <sighs> is has no ability. It is canon. He has no ability to pick up on subtext. He not... needs things literally explained to him. And I will go all the way back to, I want to say it's 155 or 156, Uncanny X-Men, like 155 or 156, when Corsair crashes his plane outside the mansion and Scott like fishes him out of the pool and he like sees the locket on his necklace and he's like... <laughs> Why do you have pictures of my mom and me as a baby? Where did you get this? Like, never putting together that this is your dad, you dumbass. Yeah. Like, so so Scott yelling stupid things about, like, you killed my brother and all of that is just perfect for me. Like, it's not over the top. It's it's psycho. It's him. It's him. I don't think this was quality. I referred to it, you know, when we were talking earlier as, like, the anti-Nomad Land. You know, I watched Nomad Land, uh, Chloe Zhao's new film recently, and it is a very well-made, high-quality film. Did I enjoy it? No. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed X-Men Legends 2 a lot more than I enjoyed Nomadland. Never would I tell you that this is a piece of art or a creation on par with that. <laughs> you know, quality and enjoyment are two different things. Um, but this had everything I wanted, just like the first one. I loved the scene at the end of issue one where, and again, dumb Cyclops moment, like his powers didn't work on us, but that only happens for us because we're brothers. What does this mean? <laughs> That was and great. I love that was great. I love those <laughs> yes! moments. That I love those moments. That goes right back to like Extinction Agenda when half I think it was Extinction Agenda when Havoc was uh brainwashed into being a magistrate or not brainwashed, he had come through the siege perilous mm-hmm. and he blasts Cyclops, and that's how they realize that it's that it's Alex. Mm-hmm. 
I love the way they did the backstory for the mom. I was very nervous going into this that we were going to have some Catherine Summers rape, that we were going to have more Dick Ken raping uh, Scott's mom. Like we got back in the Claremont era. I was so, 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 so happy that this was, they just used blood samples and made him in like a sinister style cloning lab. I was so happy that they managed to give us potentially more and, and make him real without having to violate that poor woman, you know, historically again. And just like, look, look at every time you get a new brother, it means your mom was raped again. Um, so glad we didn't have to go there. Maybe yeah. a little violation because, and we'll get to it, but in the data page, they go to great pains to explain that uh, Adamex is born through genetic manipulation. And that's a mm-hmm. distinction from cloning. He's the mm-hmm. only one that's genetic manipulation. Yes. So yeah, it yeah. seems kind of because like- Because he uh, wasn't a clone of someone else. He was, they took the DNA from each. They took right. the DNA yeah. from her as a human and blended it with the best from Deken and they made like a specifically engineered match. Um, he was he was engineered to be you know a badass 90s baseball cap wearing blood boiling two claws like uh x23 um 90s child i just keep flipping through the pages i love this so much we should have been family adam (laughs) big stupid hug god i love these summers brothers i love them so much it's they're just I want more of this kind of thing. Just dumbass people doing dumbass things with their family. I, I, I like I, I like that that Nicieza has had the opportunity to go back and and I kind of resented this at first. I'll be honest. Like I'll share this with you guys. I I listened to an interview with him recently, and like a lot of you know creators from that time or whatever like he was you know he created it when he created it or whatever and then he doesn't have a whole lot of interest in anything that's happened since he touched the book and the characters and it kind of drove me crazy that he wasn't even going to like look into you know gabriel summers and maybe fold that in in some way and i do still think that that you know maybe is a, a little bit of a missed opportunity but i gotta say now that now that it's done now that the second issue is out and it is what it is uh i kind of dig that he just went in and told his story and he hearkened back to the little hooks that he had planted back in the day and tied it all up you know uh not to skip ahead but there is a memory wipe towards the end which i think is you know Mm -hmm. a little bit ridiculous but it is you know it's a tidy way of closing the story and accounting for all the time between then quote unquote then and the present and where adam x has been and that's you know what though It, it is it is very X-Men because it's just like, I mean, Bendis explicitly did it when he started his all new X-Men. Like they first come to the future. And I think it was, it was within the first two issues where he's like, oh, well, whenever we go home, we're just going to have to get our mind wiped by Professor X. So we don't remember that any of this happened. Like Mm -hmm. you just, you know that. Like I went into this story knowing that like, they're going to meet their brother, but they don't know he's their brother. So everybody's getting mind wiped at the end. That's what this was going to be. Well, okay. Wait, as long as we're talking about the plot, one thing, and and I'm with you, Ev. I love Corsair, always have. Uh, you know, he's a personal style icon and inspiration for me and my mustache. Love him. Sexiest space pirate dad in the whole universe. However, I take issue with the way Fabian wrote him in this story because that Corsair would just shoot his one of his sons, even if it is just, you know, a genetic Not whatever. his son, Deken's son. The guy who kidnapped and raped his wife's son. Right. <sighs> 
I, I, okay, when you say it like that, it seems like justification for him trying to, you know, blow the guy's hat off. But it didn't read like that. It read more like he's here to get the bounty. And it just, I don't know. It didn't, I didn't buy it, honestly. Until I read it. You framed it was it not that way. sold. It was not sold. It was not that deep. Like it was, it was there, but it wasn't sold to us. Like I right. saw it as justification, but he was definitely written out of character for him. Um, and the reasoning was there, but it wasn't sold or made clear. I'll See, like, he, so you know, here's if, if I could, if I could move things around a little bit, I would have done with a few less uh, flashbacks that are Adam X centric and a little more Summer's family tension and drama. Like I like I said earlier, I felt like Dude, I would take a twelve issue maxi series of Summer's Family Tension and Drama. <laughs> Uh, yeah right I, I've taken it for 30 years no but like it just felt like there was a missed opportunity as far as addressing like any tensions between Scott and Alex or them and Corsair or just something you know it just kind of like they just all oh, felt sure. like background supporting characters for let's make Adam X canon and let's tell his story which I respect but it just feels you know it's it's stuff that I'm less interested in maybe the, the thing with this is though that when this came out we are just because when this takes place it's essentially i want to say a couple months before x factor 115 which is a whole issue of scott and alex in these exact same costumes deal going through all their shit in the woods just like blowing up trees and yelling at each other and going through all their stupid emotional shit so because of where they're sandwiching it and what was going on there i I don't think you can really address a lot or, or any of the dynamics going on that don't explicitly relate to Adam. Like any of the inter-character dynamics that aren't related to Adam, you can't really alter or change or do anything with because they were all either addressed just before or just after this in that era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the era right before would be like Uncanny 275 that like last you know i guess you could call it claremont's last ex- escapade in shiar space where there was like a scroll who was posing as professor x and he was the consort of lelandra and it, it was awesome and it had Deathbird, and it was great and i guess even back then like there wasn't much uh unresolved stuff between scott and corsair i don't know anyways I, it, it's just something yeah, i think would have been it, like i'm here for the summer's family drama so give that to me instead of another flashback to Adam X on some alien planet just trying to live his life. X-Men 39, I believe, came out the exact same month as Uncanny 318, which was the first issue post-Phalanx Covenant. So that tells you where Uncanny was. So Uncanny was a good, you know, that 275 was before even X-Men 90. There was a lot of stuff going on there um, in between. Now, let's talk about X-Men Legends for a few minutes as a series, what this means, right? So I love the idea of X-Men Legends allowing writers to go back and in canon finish up a thread and fit it in without affecting without changing future stories or having cut. Con- now I know that that means no consequences, right? Like you can't, you know, kill someone's brother or dad like in the middle of like, you know, a thing or you can't pull characters when they're supposed to be someone else. Like there's going to be a lot of mind wipes or it's just, you know, untold stories. As long as we get like 
real th like this like adam x was threaded and then no other writer ever picked it up when you see is a left like mm -hmm. i'm down with this yeah what do you guys think about coming issues like next issue is the Louis simonson and walt simonson doing an x factor which hey i dig x factor last year i did a whole reread of all 149 issues and i did little mini recaps for my gallery page on my website i read all of these not too long ago like i'm down with this but like i read all of these a year ago and there was nothing that made me feel like man i really got robbed of an early archangel story after you know fall of the mutants i think it's awesome i, I mean i couldn't be more excited for it again like or, you know at the top of the of the show i said like i feel this is targeted so directly at me and my nostalgia for those stories and the way i think i hold them up like in higher regard in my mind if anything this first little arc has helped me kind of maybe lower my expectations a little bit <laughs> and and see it more as just like fun stories so so i'm into it i'm super into it i'm i'm looking forward to to the simonsons i don't know who else is is slated but yeah as far as a premise like i would love to see you know possibly peter david come back and do some old you know his version of of x factor or maybe tie up some loose ends that he did um i know scott lobdell is about as radioactive as a urinal cake and Chernobyl. has the water uh coming out at um 22 000 gallons a minute in tampa right now he's that radioactive it's pretty <laughs> bad so you know i don't know if we need any stories from him but like he's definitely somebody that you know once we lost claremont and once the artist exodus happened to to image he was one of the writers that you know kind of picked up and and started doing stuff um yeah the last person i want to see and i'm I, like i want to be very clear about this is rob liefeld i cannot mm. like yeah i give him the props that he's due for like that time and my nostalgia and whatever but like he's just so he's just such an example of somebody who does not progress beyond wherever they are and that's it like and you're that's all you're gonna get from him and i you know i mean we saw major x like i have no interest in seeing anything else and i think it's super shitty that he claims so much credit for these characters who yeah he might have designed them and he might have you know given birth to them but they've become you know more real and grounded characters to varying degrees uh in the hands of different creatives you know deadpool mm -hmm. being the most obvious so the last thing i the last thing i want to see is rob liefeld rewarded for being a douchebag and and getting any time to to tell more exit stories. I have been very excited for this run. Um, I think that it's such a great idea for these writers and artists to just these people to come back and kind of do what they wanted to do and to finish something that was left unfinished or tackle something that might not have at that time be given what it was needed now. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Nathan. In this next segment, Maddie, Kyle, and I cover the Union. In this coverage, we would jump right into asking the important questions, like why is there no Bulldog air balloon? Is it possible to stand a cybernetically enhanced Corgi? The answer is resoundingly yes. And how did Dr. Croker Dial ever get away with the name Dr. Crocodile? Also, is Lady Shimmering Lights pulled straight out of TechNet? All this and more in a book that evokes classic Excalibur wackiness. We hope you enjoy. 
Hey everybody, today we are talking about the union for Exodus for Podcast. I'm Nathan, you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. Kyle, where can we find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Maddie, and you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. So the union is written by Paul Griss. Penciler is Andrea DeVito. LeBeau Underwood is the inker. Nolan Woodard is the colorist, and VC's Travis Lanham is the letterer. Where are you guys with this series coming into this? Because I kind of dropped it for a little bit. I picked it up to do this coverage today, so I read all the last few books. But it was a lot more fun than that first issue presented itself. Like, we've had a lot of phenomenal moments. I personally liked the introduction of the Bulldog, which is kind of like the UK puck to me. Yes, right isn't he like (laughs) i'm like what where was this guy all this time you know the choir was captured in this last issue and snakes oh my god snakes was actually revealed to be giant snakes Uh, do you guys have a favorite moment going into this before we actually talk about this issue i honestly don't know i i'm just loving bulldog at the moment (laughs) (laughs) game He's just goofy and jacked, and yeah, I I like him a lot. I'm so happy that you brought up that you like Bulldog, because I can't not read Bulldog and not think of you specifically, Kyle. Uh, for, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know, Kyle is pretty much the exact build of Bulldog. I only wish that you had, like, face paint and musical <laughs> facial hair. You know what I mean? So just, like, maybe, like, 2021 goals. No big deal. Um, I haven't covered an issue of the union for the show since the first issue. And I'm pretty sure one of my very first predictions was that snakes had to be either multiple snakes or one large anthropomorphic bipedal snake. And I got what I wanted. I fucking got what I wanted. I'm not angry about it. Paul Grist gave me what I wanted. So in that regard, yeah, obviously my favorite moment of the series so far. I think that I think that Paul Gris has done an excellent job. Does anybody offhand know how many issues this is going to be? Is this limited Five. or is it ongoing? Five. Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. So I am glad to know that now, being four issues in, because I can see the trajectory of where they're going, what with the recent betrayal by knockoff Conor McGregor. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Steve, Steve Darwin, knockoff Conor McGregor. Ah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, which is not at all a shot against the design by LeBeau Underwood, which, by the way, LeBeau Underwood is the greatest name in the history of the world. Isn't it, though? <laughs> it really is pretty outstanding. So, but, you know, in reference to this being five issues, I'm definitely excited to see how it wraps. I, like you, Nathan, had put this down for a few issues and then consumed it en masse before this episode. I'm glad we were covering it today because if I if we hadn't been, I might not have picked it back up and I would have missed a lot more fun than I thought it would be. There's a lot of good humor in this, especially some of these characters that are kind of familiar, but they're new characters. Yeah, no, it's been a fun romp. It's like almost not quite as fun as like, say, Savage Avengers, where like the first time I read it, I was like, oh, I hate it. And then I started loving it. I- I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm liking seeing where this is going. Is the concept working for the both of you guys so far? Now that we're four issues in, we're in the penultimate issue. Has this team that we're seeing form, has it really gelled to what you want it to be and where you want it to go? For me, um, 
I'm gonna say no. For such a limited run, they spend so much time building up Britannia, who is dead. (laughs) And one of the members is no longer one of the members, and it just feels like the whole team hasn't been able to come together because the original thesis of the book has just kind of fallen apart for me. You know, I definitely see where you're coming from in that regard. Having come into comics as an artist and having grown in comics, you know, by really devouring the the, the physical of it all, I look more closely at Children of the Atom for a direct comparison as to what I was looking to take away from the Union, especially now knowing that it's only five issues. I think that the the mark of any good book in a franchise like this is to have at least one of your characters be iconic enough to transcend into the greater ethos once your book is done. You know, I think... We discussed the possibility of gimmick from Vita Ayala's Children of the Atom being a breakout character in her own right. If not for looking a little too similarly to Gambit, she would definitely need a costume redesign. (laughs) I look at the, the cast of the Union, and I just, sure, we have Union Jack as an anchor. He came to this title as an established character. But I know that we all had high hopes for Kelpie, but otherwise... I don't know that we're going to see any of these characters break through and start appearing in other properties. And so in that way, I wonder, what will the legacy of the Union have been? Okay, that's a good point. The take I kind of had was, it it reminds me a little bit of the Great Lakes Avengers miniseries that came out several years ago, um, where, you know, you're presented with the team in, like, almost every issue, somebody died. Now, nobody's necessarily dying every issue, but you're, you're getting newness every issue, and I think at the very end of the book, we're gonna have, like, the core team come together, and it's gonna be whatever, that's gonna be the core team, whichever is presented to us at the end of the last issue. Now, you're right, though, Maddie. I don't know if anybody's going to be a huge breakout star, you know, just like take the Marvel Universe by storm. They seem to have been trying to have set Britannia up for that, but they killed her off in the first issue. So kind of like, where are they going with this with her? But also on that note, like, do you think that there is going to be more Britannia? Do you think she's going to come back? Because we keep learning more about her backstory. Um, even though she died in the first issue, she's still the central character. They even said in like issue two, like she was kind of like the glue that held the team together. And they were just kind of going to be like, nope, fuck you, Union Jack. We don't want to work with you. Do you think Britannia's coming back? A part of me thinks so. Not just from the stuff that she said in that first issue where it almost seemed like she was alluding to having died before. Yes. And the fact that in the flashback to 30 years ago, she looked exactly the same as she did at the beginning of this series, whereas Doc Croc has aged considerably I was kind of wondering myself, like, is that like some really good oil of a lace she's using? Or what is her secret? <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> yes! I almost said that. I almost said that. Then I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Maybe it's mutant genes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to bask in that for a moment. Uh, that was amazing. 
I think that everybody's favorite dead lady, um, Britannia, <laughs> is is definitely slated for a return. I think it's all signs are pointing that way. It was referenced, I think, in the first issue, to Kyle's credit, that her phrasing made it seem like she's died before. She looks exactly the same as she did 30 years ago. I just find myself questioning, and not to discredit Paul Grist, because knowing that the union picked up in the middle of a crossover it's just kind of like knowing that it had a handicap you know what i mean so i just want to strip it apart and look for value in its parts i'm just coming across the the potentiality for tropes on tropes um to have britannia brought back in the final issue is just a little heavy-handed or hem-handed for me uh, I think that, you know, by that token, choir being converted evil and going by scream again is just a little on the nose. And it's not by any means bad content. It's not by any means a bad book. It's just, you know, again, I can't help but look at this and just wonder what its lasting impact will be. That's fair. And you're right. If they do bring Britannia back in the last issue, it would be very heavy handed. I did want to take a moment and discuss a couple of things in, in looking at the, the aesthetics of, well, first off, before aesthetics, um, Craig, the cybernetically enhanced Corgi. Is oh my God. Is the new love of I love him. He is, he is the sweetest boy. He needs to join Amazing Baby and Jeff the Land Shark, and they need to come. They need to release like plush. Oh, a new pet Avengers. A new, yes, a new pet Avengers. That would be amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh, I like how Snakes was like, "I'm not gonna hurt the dog," and then he kicks them, and the dog's like, "I thought you weren't gonna hurt me." <laughs> I would just like, and looking at the size difference between Snakes and a Corgi, like I would just like throw it really, really far, and like towards like a, a patch of grass or like a soft body of water. You know what I mean? Just like get it out <laughs> of the way, because with those little legs, as long as you just like put him like out of range. He's going to take a long time. to. It's not like a greyhound. You know what I mean? He's a corgi. He's and, and I will, I'm going to call you out Paul Grist in the best ways, a cybernetically enhanced corgi. Are you a fan of Cowboy Bebop? Tell me if you're a fan of Cowboy Bebop. Because this has Ein vibes written all over it. I guess I just now have room in my heart for two uh, cybernetic corgis. It's totally cool. I love the idea of a of a cybernetically enhanced corgi going after the royal jewels because Elizabeth is a famous corgi breeder, right? Yeah. That I'm just like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> so I want to know how did they stuff snakes back into his outfit, his form? What's the process of doing that? Okay, so has anybody else here ever held a snake? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wait, that was one yes, one no? One yes, yes one no. Yeah, so the motherfuckers <laughs> don't have bones. And like, I know that's obvious. You know what I mean? Snakes don't have bones. Um, and I'm sure someone's going to reach out to me and be like, well, actually. Um, but no, <laughs> snakes don't have bones. And holding them is the weirdest thing in the world. So I just have to imagine like they did most of the work like holding their physical form back together. And they just kind of like stitched the costume up around it. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And like, ah, oh, just snakes are snakes are endlessly fascinating and they are. deeply terrifying. Very and there's no yes. zero. <laughs> it's the uh, way they move sideways, right? It's like ugh. Yeah, they move sideways and they shed their skin. Like ugh. we should we shed our skin, but we do it like slowly over the course of a month, like people do. We're not, you know, savages. Um, <laughs> 
Snakes or Savages. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt. It'll be available on my Redbubble or Red Pop. Um, so I want I wanted to if 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 and we don't mind a segue from a segue from a segue. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say his name out loud. Doc Croc oh. and his his merry band of misfits. We've got Scream, of course. Oh my God, she's choir. Who knew? Uh, we have <laughs> we have Craig uh, Volcano, who was introduced earlier. Um, she's got a bitch in helmet, just really sick dome. And Lady Shimmering Light, she's like, like my new favorite. I love yeah, her. Yeah, I, I, cool. I, I needed to feel everybody's response to Lady Shimmering Lights. It's amazing. It's perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. I read it and I laughed. And then I saw her in action and I, I read it again and I laughed. But in like the best way. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I would love to see if if I would I would put money on this. If years from now somebody wanted to pull an obscure property from a one-off series, it would be Lady Shimmering Lights. If anything, yeah. Be you yeah. for sure. Um, and I also kind of dig how she's like the uh, okay. So she's like if if Madame Mask and Jubilee had a alt queer daughter who was super into Watchmen. Um, and just like dress herself like Silk Spectre. Um, I just like, I've been trying to piece together. I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. I love that, like the description, like it's like she shimmers, she pulses. Like, what the fuck is that? That's amazing. But like the whole team reminds me a lot of the, um, you know, like Tech Neck and um, those old Excalibur Captain Return. Oh, movies. yeah. And like Lady Shimmering Lights really, really reminds me of like Fascination or scatterbrain you know so i'm like oh my god i love it i want Ooh, what if she was secretly revealed to be uh scatterbrain that would be amazing not the same oh power god. set not the same power set at all so it would be kind of odd but like it's just like the same kind of character for me same so. look and definitely right yeah. on the nose with Technat. like bravo mm-hmm. um definitely definitely gives that vibe she gives that vibe more than the rest of them her and craig yes. do i i yeah. only now wish that the rest of the team were a little bit more ridiculous um also just I know this isn't an, Exc- an Excalibur show, but does anybody off the top of their head have a favorite uh, TechNet member? Oh, I haven't read it in a while. No, that's so totally. I fine. don't. I don't remember the members of TechNet. Um, I enough, only read it recently. <laughs> yeah, no, not a worry. Um, I'm looking yeah. up even as it is. Um, I, right. think, I think Waxworks was my favorite. Um, Waxworks is amazing. Ring talk. Ring awesome. toss, ring toss. But I, I love Scatterbrain. Like, it's just like, she like just goes and she's like feeding off of people all the time. And she's just like really inappropriately close to everybody when she's not <laughs> doing battle. She's just like, like the creepy, like weird girl that just like gets a little too close to you. You know, maybe that's me. So I don't know. I, I, oof, that, that there's a little bit of that girl in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see a series that was just, that is is just rehabilitating characters that have not aged well through like time and absence in the Marvel universe. It's just like, Hey, you were like super rapey or <laughs> super don't respect physical boundaries. Um, you know, like Jesus Christ. I, I, that's going to be, that's going to be our new series. Everybody I'm just going to go through old comics at random and just say, this was problematic. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. So, oh, so, yeah. So speaking of characters that haven't aged well, um, but in a different way, did either of you make the connection that the sponge is Selwyn James? I was just oh. going to say that. Oh. Ah. I was like, oh, who's this like roguelike guy? But wow, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> he's got because, a very distinct honker. He has a distinct honker, and he's been hiding the fact that he has powers, and he is terrified of Doc Croc. Yes. Okay, now Doc Croc, that in itself is a little bit of like a of a that confused me when i first read this issue and that's why i had to like go back and reread everything again to make sure i didn't miss a connection because there is a doc croc from classic uh marvel uk properties that was the guy who basically drove jamie braddock insane and let him realize his powers but he was like a um, like a witch doctor kind of thing. And I was like, I was like, please don't tell me this is the same guy. Please don't tell me this is the same guy because that would be really bad if they like re-switched Doc Croc. But it's a totally different guy. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was, yeah, that was a little confusing for me. But favorite moment from the book, this issue itself would have to be when Craig shows up to the Tower of London. <laughs> <laughs> they've all got his guns pointed on him and this cute little dog is like Rrr. and they're like oh i think we were wrong and then the next the next page they're like in the tower so obviously the dog just like destroyed everybody he just straight fucked them up yeah with his little yep. dog of powers um i absolutely loved it I I think that you know I don't know I think that the the one of my favorite aspects of this issue believe it or not I mean well believe it and I mean to say that like Dean Kane at the end of Ripley's believe it or not believe <laughs> it. um that's now I'm just getting more obscure for the sake of being obscure. Um, I think Nolan Woodard did such an incredible job on colors throughout the entire issue and throughout the entire series, but specifically the flashback. I really love the the muted intensity, I suppose I would call it, of the, the color palettes that he has chosen on the flashback. And I am not going to lie, I would be 200% more engaged with this book if every page looked like this. Oh, no, Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I did like shout out to the art overall. Like this is just like amazingly done. Like like the corgi, you can tell it's a corgi and a lot of people have trouble drawing animals, right? But you can look at it and you're like, oh, that's a corgi. And like all of the characters have a such a distinct look, even on our hero side. And yes, even Bulldog with his cute little like almost puck kind of self. But like they're all so distinct. They all have like this like instantly recognizable look. The colors are so vibrant, especially with Kelpie. Like it, everything, everything art wise has been working for me on this. Yeah, the colors are just like wow. I it really makes this book. If everybody has their own specific color. Um, um, like you, ha you have Scream slash the choir with her greens. You have Kelpie with her turquoise aqua. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really, it just pops out. I think if we're talking about the, the majesty of the art, um, because sure, majesty, why not? I think that on page eight of digital, and I, I glossed right over this the first time. I was just like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, giant character balloons in the sky. Uh, oh, no, yes. giant character balloons in the sky. 
are incredible. You got Britannia, Kelpie, Choir, and Snakes. I just, I'm devastated that there's no Bulldog. I'm <gasps> devastated. Like, Union Jack, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I think Union Jack in that style would be cute. But, like, tell me that, like, the 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 comically disproportionate, like, balloon styling of Bulldog would not just be everything. That would be amazing. And now that, like, it's not there, I really am, like, so disappointed because he would be so adorable. Like, they're just, they're so cute, those balloons. It's so good. I wanted to jump back real quick because we were talking about Doc Croc. Does anybody have his actual full name pulled up uh, once more? Because yes. I'm pretty sure Dr. it's... Dr. Uh, Crocker Crocker Croker Dial. Dial. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Croker Dial. Uh, Ooh, what the hell? Um, and he, he, and he's so angry when somebody finally puts together crocodile. Like you <laughs> obviously didn't go to public school. You know what I mean? Like you did not have a public school education. You were not socialized with other kids at an early age because, like Jesus Christ, dude, your name's Crocodile. You know. And then, so I have no experience with this character. I don't know from a hole in the wall i don't know if if doc croc this doc croc has any history in marvel uk or marvel at large but man did they do an excellent job of just obscuring the hell out of whatever his abilities are because we see him 30 years ago so he he clearly is competent enough to have a decades-long career in villainy but he's just like oh what do you got bands of solid light what else (laughs) anti-gravity device so what do you do? You know what I mean? Like gadgets are cool. And if gadgets are your shtick, that's really cool. And then incidentally, you're just named Crocodile. You know, that's super <laughs> unfortunate. I think that. <laughs> and, you're, and you're super smart. I just, yeah. <laughs> and, you're, and you're super smart. You're super you're, smart. You're a gadget guy. You've maybe got some like magic gadgets. He's like the like also, the, magic gadgets. My new band name called it. That is amazing, actually. That <laughs> is so amazing. He's like the British Tony Stark, who instead of becoming an Avenger, became a really off-brand villain. I guess um, off-brand. <laughs> because, like, Ouch! <laughs> because, like you said, who calls themselves Doctor Crocodile when they have nothing to do with crocodiles? He doesn't even look like a crocodile. So, so there's a video that lives rent-free in my head that I saw a couple weeks ago, and it's a girl having had a conversation with a guy in college about like cute goat videos, and they were like, "Man, wouldn't it be cool to run a goat club?" And she was like, "Cool, yeah." So then he actually puts in a formal request for a goat club, and the university accepts it, and he names her unknowingly as president of the goat club. So they have a couple of meetings, and it becomes less of a goat club and more about just the the happenstance of obscurity that like plagues our lives, such as having a conversation about making a goat club, and it's suddenly becoming a thing. And so they made a shirt called Iowa Goat Club, and it just has a dolphin on it. <laughs> and I... I understand that this is a much more visual medium for the storytelling, but Iowa Goat Club, and it's just a large dolphin. It, 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 I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I never not think about it. And so in, in, in this instance, Crocodile, having nothing to do with crocodiles, is the Iowa Goat Club. Oh. <laughs> That's uh, shout out, shout out to whoever's listening from Iowa. By the way, if you go to this university that I discovered on TikTok, God bless you. 
I just I just wanted to say like the absurdity of the last protector of the vault. Like this little short guy, like the last beef eater, like and he's like he's going into battle up against Volcania. I was like, oh my lanter, this is like insane. That is like the cutest like little visual right there. He's so little, like he's actually like pluck size. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's adorable. Yeah. And at the same time, he is vicious. Yes. Oh my god. I'm so glad you mentioned him because we have to, I have to just talk about him before before we leave. He they showed him twice, and the first time they showed him, I'm like, oh no, he's 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 gonna die. Like this, he's he's gonna die. Like poor dude. And then they show him again. Volcano blasts him, and he does some like advanced pull techniques and gets out of the way. And I'm like, hell yeah, good for you, my man. And he's like so dopey in the face. He's like clearly an older gentleman, and he's like he's moving like you know a a, a spry chicken. And he did not deserve to be taken down by Scream. I'm gonna say it. That mm. was that was a low blow. You know, like it, my man is dodging lava at like AARP collecting age. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's got his consumer. That's all, that's all I got. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, he's 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 got one of those cricket wireless. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, uh, not the cricket wireless, like the, the the touch phone with like the five buttons. Wow, <laughs> what were you saying? Sorry. So we we um we end end the the issue with the revelation that there's this magic gem that allowed uh, Great Britain to become an empire. Yes! <laughs> like, what is that? And, like, that's the only thing in the vault, right? Like, they were expecting all these jewels, but, like, that's the one jewel that's in the vault. Like, yeah, it, it's like, really? <laughs> that That's, that... You'd you'd think that if they wanted to stay as an empire, they would continue using it, but they've been (laughs) slowly kind of falling apart since the 1700s. (laughs) What are you guys wanting to see out of the last issue that's coming out? Um, What haven't you seen that you want to see? How do you want to see this wrapped up and resolved? You know, I, I, like I mentioned before, I was, I was fortunate enough to be on the first episode discussing the first issue of the union and if you go back and listen to it we posit a lot of you know tremendous theories and we also uh took a step back and and you know sort of humbled ourselves and recognized that not one of us was you know cognizant enough of international affairs and and uk diplomacy and you know governmental bodies at large to know whether or not this was going to be a an analogy for a post-Brexit UK. And here we are in the penultimate issue discovering that a game of capture the flag turns you into an emperor. So <laughs> I have no expectations. I and not in a bad way. I because not every not every book needs to be this this moving poignant political masterwork. But I I do think that there was a little bit of a missed opportunity in that regard, although it is not Paul Grist's responsibility to take a UK flagship book and use it as an educational platform for an American audience. So really, all I'm looking for in issue five is just fun. I want to see everybody showcased. I want to see everybody's abilities. I don't care if there is not a lick of story. I would just love to see Doc Croc and New Technet go up against <laughs> our heroes and just bang it out. Ooh, um, yeah, <laughs> bang it out's fine. Bang it out. Bang it out. Yeah, bang it out. <laughs> 
<laughs> what do I want to see? I I just want to see some kind of craziness at this point. It's everything that has happened so far is just so bizarre that I just I need to see it taken to the next level at, at this point. And if that means all of all of the union suddenly breaking out of or overcoming the Doc Crocs attacks and managing to take out Darwin, okay. If it means somehow resurrecting Britannia, all for it. If it turns out that Selwyn James is going to be the hero this whole time, even more for it. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I mean, that's that's really all I'm looking for. I'm just looking for more of this wild ride. Hey guys, Nico here one last time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and drop a review over on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. Until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see you on the other side.